Welcome to Friendly Words, the sermon podcast of Pratt Friends Church in Pratt, Kansas. The message you're about to hear was originally preached at Pratt Friends Church on Sunday, May 30th, 2021. It focuses on the revelation of Jesus' glory to Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration. The message to all who will listen is, Jesus is God's Son, and all must listen to Him. Now here is Pastor Mike Neifert. God, thank you that you are in this place and that you desire to communicate to us not only words, but your heart for us. And God, I pray now that your word, as I'm about to speak it, that you would uh, help us to hear your voice, hear your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So I have climbed to the peak of eight of the 53 or 54, depending on the list you look at, uh, 14,000 plus foot mountains in the Colorado Rockies. I have climbed in ascending order, Mount Bierstadt, which is the shortest of those that I've climbed, Pikes Peak, which I raced up, Mount Democrat and Mount Cameron, which I topped in one day, Torrey's Peak and Gray's Peak, another single-day double summit, and La Plata Peak, by far the hardest of the climbs that we had, and Mount Massive, which is the second highest mountain in Colorado. There are, of course, stories connected with each of these miles-long, hours-long hikes, which all except Pikes Peak were taken with family. On our climb up Gray's Peak, we encountered sure-footed mountain goats. Coming down Mount Bierstadt, lightning was flashing all around Susan and I. On La Plata, we helped a frantic dad look for his son, whom he couldn't find. The son was like 30s. He handled himself fine. We got lost coming down Mount Massive. Thankfully, I had my GPS watch on, which had a return to start feature, so we found the trail again. Otherwise, we'd still be wandering around, I suppose, or I don't know. Summited Mount Democrat alone because the rest of my family was climbing up Mount Cameron. So I went up Democrat, came back down and chased them down and got to the peak about the same time as most of them did. Pikes Peak, as I said, was the only one that I climbed on my own. I uh, didn't have to come back down that one, thankfully, because I'd already done 13 miles up. And my wife and brother and sister-in-law drove up to get me. They tried to feed me donuts, which after that long at that altitude was a really bad idea. I'm not going to give you details on the story, okay? Anyway, could go into greater detail on what we saw and experienced all the flora and the fauna and the rocks and Snickers bars at the top, always. But not on my list of things spotted at the top of 14,000 foot peaks, glowing people. Never seen a glowing person there, ever. Even in my most oxygen-deprived moments, I did not see anyone whose face shone like the sun or whose clothes turned from drab hiking clothes to bright white. Never happened. Every person that I met on the way up or down was mostly normal. All of them except the shirtless runner who climbed grays in less than two hours when we had taken us four hours to get to the top. He was a bit of a freak, but other than that... Most of the people there were just people who were everyday people climbing up a mountain to get to the top and look at the clouds below them and then hike back down and get pelted by hail. Well, today in Matthew chapter 17, we're going to read 
an encounter that Peter, James, and John had with a glowing personality. Yes, pun intended. Before we read their story, we need to read the last words of Matthew 16, which I said last week that we would cover. Verse 28 of Matthew 16 says, Truly I tell you, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Remember these words, they come on the heels of Peter confessing that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and on the heels of Jesus predicting his death and resurrection. He has also told his disciples to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him. We noted last week that there's a reward promised to everyone who gives everything to follow him. That's in verse 27. It says, for the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. And how great is the reward that God's going to give? How great is it going to be? Really, 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 really great. Beyond our imagination, great. Because we cannot possibly comprehend all that God has in store for those who love him. Then Jesus drops this absolute bombshell on the 12. Some of you standing here will see me coming in my kingdom. As soon as he reports our master's words, Matthew goes on to tell the story that we find at the beginning of Matthew 17. Remembering that the verses and number breaks and all that kind of stuff are man-made and arbitrary and kind of weird sometimes, we understand that 16 flows right into 17, correct? So we're getting right after he says, some of you standing here are not going to taste death until you see me coming in my glory. Here's what happens. We're starting at verse 1 of chapter 17. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down on the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. It didn't take long for Jesus' prediction from the end of chapter 16 to come to pass, did it? Less than a week after he had said that some of his followers would see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom, it happened. Jesus takes three of the twelve up onto this high mountain. The guys with him see him completely transformed before their eyes. They see his divine glory. Now, before we talk about who shows up when Jesus gets bright and shiny, let's take a look at another New Testament passage which shows Jesus' great glory. We're going to look at Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 to 18. 
John is writing down what he sees in this vision of the last days, and he describes Jesus in glowing terms. Yes, the pun was intended again. Sorry. Listen to what's recorded. This is Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through 18. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that is ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. First of all, notice that whenever Jesus shows up like this, people fall down. They worship. They're scared. But every time he touches them and says, don't be afraid. I think sometimes we picture Jesus as less than he is. We imagine that he's just this regular Joe, someone like us. He did take on flesh so that he could save us. And he was a human being like we are, but he was more than just human. He was, as the long-standing theological formula says, 100% man and 100% God. And I don't know how 100% of two essences is possible, but I know that that's what the Scripture teaches. What we see of Jesus in Revelation and on the mountain with James and John and Peter in Matthew 17 is who he is when not completely veiled in flesh. He's full of life and light and power. You caught God the Father's words, I hope, in Matthew 17. They're similar to those which he spoke about Jesus at his baptism. Looking at verse 5, here's what he says. He says, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Back in chapter 3, while the water of the Jordan is still dripping off the end of Jesus' nose after his baptism, we hear these same words, all but the last three of them, coming from the Father in heaven. We saw heaven open, we saw the Spirit descending like a dove and alighting upon him, and John was a witness to that. And the words here are repeated, except for that three-word addition which says, listen to him. Hearing, listening to what Jesus says matters. At the end of his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said to those who hear and either obey or don't, he said these things to them in Matthew chapter 7, 24 and 27. He said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet they did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine that does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. 
The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So ignoring Jesus' words, it's insanity. It is the foolish man who shrugs and continues to do just as he pleases. It's the wise woman who hears and does what he commands. Are you wise or foolish? Seriously, if you believe Jesus is God's son, why would you not do as he says? Wouldn't you believe his ways are best? The son of the living God seems to be a reliable source of information on how to live. This is my son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Listen to him. If you hear nothing else, if there is no other application for you, these words from the Father are enough. Listen to Jesus, God's son, with whom the Father is well pleased. Obey and do. Obey and live. Now we're going to talk about the other characters in this drama. When Jesus' glory is revealed, with whom does he visit? It's with Moses and Elijah that Jesus converses. And we don't know how Peter, James, and John, how they figured out it was Moses and Elijah. Maybe Moses was talking about Moses stuff and Elijah. I don't know. We don't know that. But they knew that it was Moses and Elijah, enough that they could report it to Matthew for him to tell us. And so we know that they were there. We're not told what they talk about, just that they were there and that they had a chat. I don't know what they were talking about, but anyway, there they are. And I think who's there matters because Moses was the receiver of the law from God. Elijah is among the greatest of the prophets. Both men had close encounters with God, and we're going to look at those in just a second. We know about Moses and the burning bush, but we're going to talk about one later on. In Exodus 34, verses 5 through 7, Moses is hidden by God in the cleft of the rock, and God passes by, and he proclaims his name. Here's what it says in Exodus 34. Five through seven, then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him, that is with Moses, and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. That's an encounter. And then Elijah has this similar experience. He's fleeing for his life. He finds his way out into the wilderness to a mountain and on Mount Horeb, which some speculate could be the peak that they're on here in Matthew 17. God speaks to him. Here's what we have of of Elijah's intimate meeting with God in 1 Kings 19, verses 11 to 13. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? If you know the rest of the story, Elijah complained that nobody was following God. He was the only one, and God said, no, I've reserved several thousand people that have not bent their knee to Baal. 
and I still have work for you. And I've got a friend to come alongside you, Elisha. We'll learn about him in just a second. So these two men know God. They've seen his glory. They led people, and then they died or went up to heaven. And we have the story of Moses' death in Deuteronomy 34. In the middle of that chapter, starting at verse 5, we have this account of his passing. It says this, And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him there in Moab, in the valley opposite Beth Peor. But to this day, no one knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. You remember that Moses wasn't allowed to go in the promised land because he had disobeyed God in front of all the people and showed disrespect to God. So Moses died in Moab, never touching foot in the promised land until Matthew 17. Isn't that crazy? God let him see it, and then he got to set foot in it. He died on that mountaintop, and it seems that God himself buried the man. That's the implication we get in verse 6. Nobody knew where the grave was. It's pretty unusual, right? God doing the burial rites. But less unusual than Elijah's departure from this world. Elijah's death, if you can call it that, is more dramatic than any other that I know of. Listen to the account from 2 Kings 2, verses 11 to 12. Elisha, the man whom Elijah is mentoring as a prophet, he's walking along with him. He's asked that he receive a double portion of the Spirit. And Elijah said, if you see me going, you can have it. I guess God told him he could say that. And then this happens. This is verse 11. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. Then Elisha saw him no more. Crazy death scene, if you can even call it that. The man is snatched from earth and taken to heaven. Swing low, sweet chariot. As I said, Moses and Elijah, they know God. They've seen his glory. They pointed people toward God, toward his ways and his thoughts. And Moses did so through the laws and the religious regulations that showed them that blood had to be shed in order to take away sin. And Elijah showed them that, that God was God over all gods. Remember the confrontation on the mountain with Baal and all that and the fire coming from heaven and consuming the stones and the water and all that other stuff? They pointed people to God. And their presence here in Matthew points people to God again. Moses points people to God through the law. Elijah and every prophet points people to God by boldly and precisely proclaiming exactly what God told them to say. It makes sense then that these are the guys who meet up with Jesus. Their presence does what their words did centuries before, pointing to God's Son the one who fulfills the law, the one whom the prophets said would come. Jesus in Matthew 5.17 said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And Jesus is fulfilling the law. He's fulfilling 
fulfilling the prophets, and here are the receiver of the law and one of the prophets giving credence to his messiahship. And there's one more thing we need to note. Their living presence on this mountain is evidence of the resurrection of the dead. They're still living, even though they died or were taken to heaven in a chariot years before this. Matthew does not record the incident, but in two of the other Gospels, we have a discussion about the resurrection which took place between Jesus and the Sadducees. If you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about how the Sadducees and Pharisees didn't get along, and part of the issue was what they believed about the afterlife. Well, that's coming from this story. So let me read a little bit of the story from Mark chapter 12. There's really not a good way to make this super short. So we're going to read verses 18 through 27. Listen carefully as I read. Jesus says something important about God and about those who have died in him. So here we go. Verse 18, this is Mark chapter 12. Then the Sadducees, who say there's no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died leaving no children. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. At the resurrection, remember they don't believe in this, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? They're being a little ridiculous. But here's what Jesus says. Jesus replied, this is verse 24, Are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? When the dead rise, he's stating that they do rise, when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Now about the dead rising, have you not read in the book of Moses in the account of the burning bush how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. Those who believe that there's no resurrection are, Jesus' words, not mine, they're badly mistaken. Those who believe those who've died stay dead or are dead wrong. God is the God of the living, and those who've died in him are living. They're not dead. Jesus seemed to teach this truth in his conversation with Martha, Lazarus' sister, before he made her presently dead brother completely undead. Listen to John chapter 11, verses 17 to 27, and hear Jesus' words concerning death and life. This is John 11, starting verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. 
Now, we looked a couple weeks ago about Peter confessing that, but here's Martha saying the same thing. You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. God is the God of the living, not of the dead. Those who believe in Jesus will live even though they die. Actually, believers never, ever, ever die. This is Jesus' testimony about the way things are. Eternal life is real, and it is the possession of every believer. When you put your faith in Christ, you begin living a life which will never end, not in a 1,000 years, not in 10,000, not in a million. You're just living eternally. Moses and Elijah are alive enough. Years upon years after they died or were carried into heaven, they were alive enough to carry on a conversation with Jesus. They're living. Whew, I think we've covered those first verses of 17 well enough. We've talked about the conversation between Jesus and the lawgiver and the prophet. We heard God's command to listen to his son. We didn't talk about Peter's campout suggestion and how the other two disciples fell to the ground. We talk, kind of hinted at that, but you heard me say those things, and so you know that those are there. Well, I'm not going to say anything beyond what's written. So with our remaining time, we're going to look at the last few verses, verses 9 through 13. So here's what we find out as we read that. As they were coming down the mountain, remember, everything's kind of calmed down. They fell to the ground. They looked up. Nobody's there except Jesus. They're coming down the mountain. So as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. It's interesting to me that the disciples completely skip right past what Jesus has said about being raised from the dead, and they ask this seemingly unrelated question. It seems that they're confused by Elijah's appearance on the mount after Jesus has shown up or after the Messiah has shown. Wasn't the prophet supposed to come first? And the answer to that question is, yes, he was supposed to show up first. These are the last words of the Old Testament. The last prophetic words from the Old Testament are found in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. This is like we stop and 400 years of silence come after this till Jesus shows up on the scene. So here's what the last words that were given to a prophet say. Malachi 4, 5, and 6 say, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of parents to their children and the hearts of children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Hard pause. In response to Peter, James, and John asking this question about Elijah coming first, Jesus points them to the Elijah who had already come, and they saw him but didn't catch that that's who it was. He talks about John the Baptist. It was John who turned the hearts of people toward God and pointed his followers toward Jesus. He warned all who would listen of the coming wrath and called on them to repent of their sin. And then he shouted, Behold, the Son of God who takes away the sin of the world and sent people off to follow Jesus. 
When Jesus made it clear that the Elijah to come was John and not Elijah himself, the disciples got it. They were likely even more convinced of the truth Peter had spoken earlier by the Spirit of God, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? If you do, listen to what he says. Isn't that what we hear? This is my son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Obey his commands. This is the directive of the Father who spoke from the cloud. It's the directive that he gave to Peter, James, and John at the time, but he gives it to us as well. And his words elevate Jesus above the law and the prophets and say he's the one that's fulfilling everything. He's greater than Moses, greater than Elijah. Today, I just want to remind you that God has called us to listen to his son. Jesus speaks to us by his spirit and through his written word and through immediate revelation as the spirit sometimes says, go this way instead of that way. He still does that today. If we are his disciples, we pay attention to what he says because he's God's son. We listen to him. As we close our time together, I urge you to do that. Listen to Jesus. What does he have for you this week, this morning? What truth has he spoken into your heart which you must put into practice? Whatever he says, do. We're going to take just a moment in silence and give you that opportunity to listen to God. You listen to me long enough. You've hopefully heard the Spirit of God speaking, but now you have this opportunity just to take your cares and concerns and everything that you have to God, and I pray that God would give you his answer, his peace, whatever it is that you need so that you might continue to follow him, continue to obey him. Let's pray. Father, your word always demands a response. And today that response is to listen to Jesus. That's your, what you've commanded us. Help us to hear. Jesus said he was the good shepherd and that his sheep hear his voice, and they do as he says. And so, Father, help us to be your sheep, to listen and to be obedient. Sometimes it's not easy, and sometimes we don't hear really clearly your voice, and we miss the mark, or we get lost, and you have to come chase us down. We're thankful that you don't give up, that you leave the 99 to come after the one. God, I pray that your spirit would lead us this week, that we would hear your voice and listen, hear your voice and obey. We confess once again that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords and that we choose today to bend our knee to him and to worship him and to proclaim his name, that name which is above every name at which every knee is going to bow. We do so to the glory of God the Father who sent Jesus in love to save us.
Amen. Hear now this blessing from 1 Thessalonians 3, 12 and 13. Receive God's word and allow it to come true in and through you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus Christ comes with all his holy ones. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. If you want to hear each week's message, be sure to subscribe to Friendly Words in your podcast app. May God bless you as you follow Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit.